Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning. Morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I am Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, and just delighted to see so many new faces this morning uh, and returning faces. Um, and so, if you're new here, we have welcome cards out uh, in the hallway after the service. Go ahead and fill one of those out. Drop it in the little card box. And I would love to follow up with you after today. But really delighted that you're here. Uh, We are in a series on the book of Romans. That is what our lectionary or our Bible reading plan has for us this summer. And so we've been spending a lot of good time uh, together in the book of Romans. We'll continue that today. Let me pray for us uh, as we dive into Romans 6 together. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, on Tuesday this week, as you're probably all aware, we will be celebrating something. Uh, We will be celebrating the nation's independence, giving God thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, And last month, we celebrated another Independence Day in Juneteenth, uh, on June 19th, which is our nation's second Independence Day. I was introduced to it when I lived in Texas. Now it's a federal holiday. In, in January, on January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation legally ended slavery in the United States. Troops were sent uh, riding into Confederate states to read out the Emancipation Proclamation, proclaiming the good news that no one can uh, any longer be enslaved in this country. Unfortunately, um, In many of the states, it would take a full two years after that for that reality to be realized. And so two years later, on June 19th, 1865, around 2,000 Union soldiers rode into Galveston Bay in Texas, which was the westernmost Confederate state at the time, the last bastion where slavery was still happening. And... um, After the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect, those troops came into Galveston Bay, Texas, and they announced that the 250,000 enslaved black persons that were there were no longer to be enslaved, that they were free by executive order. And so 1865 marks the end of the institution of slavery in a real way and the beginning of the Reconstruction period. So it's amazing that after 200-plus years of an institution Uh, It was finally dismantled and allowed millions of Americans to have the opportunity to transform their lives and to transform the nation. And of course, we know that Reconstruction was not an easy road, but the key to beginning it was liberation, liberation from slavery. And so freedom, um, the freedom that the country had procured in 1776 was realized and extended to millions of people, hundreds of thousands by 1865 in this second Independence Day in 1865 that we still celebrate. And after that point, no slave master could in any meaningful way 
make claim over an individual, uh, over the life of another person. Those who had been set free, those who were enslaved, were now placed into a scenario where flourishing was at least possible, uh, where they were no longer under, <clears throat> under the claim of another person. And that's a helpful way to start thinking about Romans 6. Romans 6, we are called to live faithfully and called to live freely in the grace and the freedom that God has given to us through Christ in our baptism. It's this remarkable reality um, that when we're confronted with sin, it can be easy to forget. And so the beginning of this chapter, what it does is it serves to help us recollect our freedom, to meditate on it. A call to live fully alive in the grace that God's given to us. It calls us to constantly take account of what God has done um, for us so that sin, which is our old slave master, can't rightfully make any claim on us anymore and can't rule over us. So sin might be present, but it cannot rule. And we now live in this realm of the resurrection where transformation by the grace of God is possible. We have changed realms. We have switched relationships from the old man, the old Adam, to to the new Adam in Christ. St. Paul starts chapter 6 with a bit of a ridiculous question. He says, should we keep on sinning so that grace might abound? Um, And you should feel like that's a ridiculous question. It's absolutely a ridiculous question. No one should ask that question. Um, And it's absurd. It's like somebody saying, you know, um, can I go back to my cruel slave master? Um, Even though you've given me all the freedom that I need to abound and to be uh, to flourish. And so why is grace so freely available to us? Like, what is the point of the freedom that we have? It's not to stay as we are. Um, It's not to keep on sinning, to go back to an old slave master. The freedom that has been given to us is so that we are fully awake, not just kind of like, you know, rubbing our eyes, kind of figuring out the shape of grace, like to be fully alive, to fully embrace union with Christ, to become all that God has created us to be. And so everything here for St. Paul begins with this really deep and rich Um, experience of the grace of God in a a thick theology of baptism. And so here are the phrases that he gives us Uh, in these first five verses. He says, all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We died with him there. We were buried with him by baptism so that as Christ was raised, We too might walk in newness of life. We share in the resurrection because we have shared in the death. If we were united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And when I think about this particular passage, um, this particular passage in the book of Romans was really important for me in my own journey um, into where I'm at today. So I was baptized in the Roman Catholic Church as an infant. Uh, And I would say that I got serious about following Jesus when I was about 14 years old. So if some of you parents are wondering, like, when are they going to get it? You know, hold on. Like, my parents were very gracious in waiting. Uh, They had to wait a long time for me to really get it. And um, and now what I I would use the language of becoming awake to the grace of God. I was awakened to the grace of God that was given to me at my baptism 14 years later. 
um, even though I was baptized as an infant. It just took several years, uh, like a decade or so of just wandering um, to become awake to the grace that was already given to me. And I was awakened to that grace in the context of a, of a really interesting scenario where I was part of a tradition where baptism uh, in that tradition was nothing more than just a public declaration of an inward faith. There was nothing that happened to you at baptism. That was the tradition that I was in 14, at age 14. And in that way of thinking, then, if that's the belief about baptism, it's common then for people to be baptized multiple times. And so you could go from this or that church, and every time you become a member of a different church, you get rebaptized. And so I remember kids going to summer camp, and every year it seemed like they were getting baptized, because now I really mean it. Now I really mean it. Now is my public profession, right? And, and so it comes from this theology that baptism is nothing more than a public profession of an inward faith. So if I'm not being authentic, my baptism didn't count. But that's way too much on us. That's way too much on me. Um, what this passage did is it changed my whole thinking about baptism. And so, you know, and this was 14 years ago that it changed my mind. Before I was Anglican, I still would have been uh, in that tradition, but this changed my whole way of thinking. I believed in the seriousness of baptism at that point. And I knew that, like, that is the first thing you need to do as an obedient act to Jesus. He was very big on baptism. It's actually part of the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world. Baptizing, right? Exactly, yes. It's part of the Great Commission. It's really important. And so at that point, I wouldn't yet have considered it the way Paul is talking about it here, but I knew it had to be more important than just, I'm telling everybody I really get it right now. And so the way I grew up reading this passage is that instead of physical baptism, it was something like a spiritual baptism that was really without water and was just a shorthand way of referring to belief or faith. Um, but the more I read St. Paul, the more I read this passage, the more I read the early church, the less and less that view had explanatory power anymore to me. And so when we read the scriptures and how the church has interpreted the scriptures pretty fairly unanimously in the first several centuries, we come to the conclusion that baptism accomplishes what it signifies. Baptism accomplishes the thing that it signifies, death to the realm of sin and, and life in the new realm of the resurrection. It doesn't just signify it, it accomplishes this. And so to speak of baptism, I want to be clear, it doesn't negate faith in any way, right? Faith is still important, um, crucial, foundational. But to talk about faith without baptism would have been completely foreign to St. Paul. It, it just wouldn't have made sense. Like, this is what you do. And so the grace of God is given to us. And, and in our baptism, and now this call is to live it out, right? You've been given everything uh, through Christ in, in the ark of salvation in the church. And now we live it out day to day, a daily conversion, and the, the transfer of realms, as I mentioned before, it's a relational one. We are, we are as Justin, our intern, preached uh, so well last week, we have been transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ. This is, it's, it's two different realms. We were transferred relationally. Um, and so through our baptism, we are now in Christ. 
out of the realm of sin. So again, while sin might be present, it no longer rules in this realm. And so that gives us the grace that empowers us to realize the new relationship that we have. Sin is still a a reality, but it is not a ruling power for us. And where sin is discovered through daily repentance um, and and the the reality of the union with Christ that we have is greater than our sin. It's great enough to cover our sin so that grace is made known and we can live into the newness of life that we have. And so uh, should we sin? Should we go on sinning? So that grace might abound. Of course not. No. Certainly no. We should not do that. Um, To think and to live that way. To uh, abuse grace. Is to close ourselves off. To the ways that grace. uh, The grace of God might fully shape us. Into all that God actually wants us to become. We don't want to close ourselves off to the grace of God. And what it would do for us. So. We can think of it, it's not a fear of punishment, it's more of a fear of not becoming all that God would actually have us to become. And one of the things that I take from this passage then is this exhortation, and Mike had actually brought this up yesterday at the the men's breakfast, which is, um, remember your baptism. And why? It's because in it you were born again, in it you were brought into union with Christ through his bride, the church. In our baptism... In our liturgy, we renounce cosmic evil. We renounce systems of evil and oppression. We renounce false liturgies that, that have an effect on us as we are fed them in this world. We renounce personal sin. And then after we renounce those things, the priest takes the oil of exorcism and they will anoint the forehead of the candidate to be and pray for them to be delivered. Uh, from darkness and evil and be led into the light of Christ. And then a bit later, there are more prayers for that candidate to live in faithfulness. And then the priest prays over the water, praying for the Holy Spirit to sanctify the water. And why? Because baptism does something profound. So there's this clear connection in the baptismal liturgy of creation and the ways that the Spirit has hovered over the waters with his creative power. There's a connection with Noah and his family and the salvation that they experienced for the ark from in the ark and the ark is compared to the church. There's a connection to the deliverance that the Israelites experienced in Egypt through water. And then there is a connection to Jesus's baptism where the Holy Spirit descends on Christ and sanctifies the waters in a way that is connected to the priest's sanctification of the waters even now. And so the priest prays that all who are baptized in this water should be cleansed from sin, born again, and continue forever faithful in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So remember your baptism. And we've been reading Tish Warren's book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, in our Friday uh, book discussion and dinner. And as a result of that reading this week, I've tried to make it a habit uh, to make my first thought different when I wake up rather than, you know, scrolling through Facebook, news feed, check the weather, do an email. Uh, instead, instead of doing that, my, my first thought as I wake up to be, thank you, Lord, for speaking grace over me in my baptism. 
that simple phrase um, and just remember your baptism when you first wake up. Don't think to don't think back to the historical details because if you're like me, I don't remember what it was like in 1985 when I was baptized at Holy Spirit Catholic Church. I can't remember any of the details. That's not as helpful. Instead, recollect often the work that God did in cleansing you from sin, bringing you into the church, bringing you into union with Christ, and freeing you from slavery to sin. All the things that happened in your baptism, we should remember constantly. And so, as an aside, this is actually something in our family we do, is we light our son's baptism candle uh, every year uh, in January to remember his baptism, and we, we pray the renewal of baptism vows together as a family. So we recollect this often, um, and that is the beginning of the work of realizing God's grace that is already present in your life. It's already there. And, and so salvation is far more than just being declared righteous. It's far more than just escaping punishment. Salvation is this daily awakening to the grace of God. It is conforming to the union with Christ that you have through daily conversion, through this process of repentance of sin, forgiveness received from God, amendment of life empowered by the grace of God. It's the working out of the grace that's already positionally true for you. And so, again, in this first five verses, part of recounting who God's made you to be uh, and living fully into that grace he provides is remembering your baptism. The second part is in verses 6 through 11, and that is to account ourselves properly. Account ourselves properly. St. Paul brings up the image again of freedom from slavery in Egypt um, that Israel experienced. And we're no longer under an unjust master. Just the Israelites, if Pharaoh had tried to make a claim, they would say, no, we've been freed. We no longer live under the rule of Pharaoh. So sin is a cruel master that we can say no to. And it's hard to believe because sometimes when sin knocks on the door, it doesn't feel like we have the power to say no. If we recognize it, first of all. And then it, so it may not feel right. It may not feel true. But it is true that sin cannot rule over us. And so because that's true, we don't have to obey the temptation of personal sin. We don't have to be held captive by the systems of evil. We don't have to be deterred by cosmic oppression. All those things work together to deviate us from what God is making us into. And so there is forgiveness available to, to live out and fully realize the grace of God. So St. Paul introduces bookkeeping language here as well. And it's really interesting. He says, count yourselves or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe one, one day after your billing statement is concluded, you look at your credit card bill. Oh, you're already squirming. And, and, you, and you kind of look at it and go, how did that happen? <laughs> right? And, um, and, and then you, you look at the charges and you see, okay, I guess we did do Uber Eats quite a bit. Um, I, there was a few more gas station trips than we wanted. Okay, we bought some things on Amazon we didn't really need, uh, but I had to have that ladle that looked like the Loch Ness Monster. Um, and then there's that emergency repair on the car that I've forgotten about. By the end of it all, you're kind of like, oh, okay. 
some of you are starting to sweat, uh, and maybe it's just because it's hot in here, but <laughs> so maybe that hits a little too close to home, but it's okay. So what it does, when we account, when we do the accounting work, it, it makes what is unbelievable become believable. We kind of go, ah, yep, yeah, that happened. Okay, got it. And as a result of the accounting work and the reconciling, you make a plan of action to correct that. So usually this is in the realm of habit formation. So, okay, I'm, I'm only going to do Uber Eats once every two weeks, and I will cook in bulk. You know, whatever it is, uh, there is behavioral change based on the reckoning. And um, so here St. Paul is saying, it seems unbelievable that you are actually free from the rulership of your cruel old master sin uh, who comes to try and make a claim on you. But what God wants you to do is to constantly reconcile your spiritual statement. And what you will realize in doing that is that there is a surplus of grace for you uh, that is always greater than the sin that is tempting you. And so no sin can you rule over you when you take an account of it. Because grace, the grace of God is too powerful. Before you could do anything, God spoke grace over you in your baptism. That's amazing. And so the daily work on our part is becoming awake to God's grace. So that what's actually true can become transformative as it is worked out daily. And again, I have loved reading again Tish Warren's Liturgy of the Ordinary. In that first chapter, she talks about waking up and the awkward humanness of waking up with all the bad breath. Everyone has jammies, right? Like, it's an awkward and very human experience to wake up and get out of bed in the morning. And everyone does it no matter how important you are. And, and she says in that first chapter, as Christians, we wake each morning as those who are baptized, who are united with Christ. And the approval of the Father is spoken over us. We're marked from our first waking moment by an identity that is given to us by grace. An identity that is deeper and more real than any other identity that we will don that day. So in a day, you will be an accountant, you will be a father, you will be a mother, you will be an FBI agent, you will be a senator. But nothing is as important as the identity that has been spoken over you by the grace of God in your baptism. And so this passage encourages me to keep what God has done in Christ for us in the forefront of my mind at all times. We remember that sin's presence doesn't mean that sin rules over us. We've been freed from the realm of sin to become fully awake to the grace of God that's given to us in, through baptism in this new realm of being in Christ. And so the work of God is the foundation for spiritual progress in the Christian life. And his grace makes it possible. And so let's recollect over and over again the grace of God. Don't forget it. Let's account properly so that our sin is not given too much power. And then let's remember our baptism. Let's pray. O God of peace who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your spirit lift us, we pray to your presence where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.